The absence of curiosity, meaning another person showing curiosity in who I am, who I really am, is what I notice most when I'm cultivating a relationship with any person, lover, friend, colleague, whatever. Hey, I'm glad you're listening today. This is Choose to be Curious, a show all about curiosity. We talk about research and theory, but mostly it's conversations about how curiosity shows up in work and life. I'm your host, Lynn Borton. Welcome. Come, choose to be curious with us. The American poet Robert Frost wrote, something there is that doesn't love a wall, that sends the frozen groundswell under it and spills the upper boulders in the sun. The line that many people might recognize from his poem, Mending Wall, is good fences make good neighbors. But Frost himself was famously ambivalent about that old refrain, repeated in the poem by his neighbor companion as they worked together each spring to repair the snow-damaged stone walls between their properties. The beauty of the ambiguity, of course, is that in working together, meeting up to maintain the wall, the neighbors are united by the very act of tending to what separates them. So good fences make good neighbors. One of the great pleasures and privileges of Choose to be Curious, the show, and of choosing to be curious more generally, is the many treasure hunts on which it sends me. I thought of Robert Frost and his proverbial fences as dug into work by today's guest, which gave me an excuse to reread some of his poems. There's a link on my website if you want to do the same. Frost's eloquent simplicity is deceptive. I invite you to stop a moment and reread. And especially if you don't know his poems, go ahead, choose to be curious. The topic at hand was personal boundaries, not literal fences, let alone stone walls, but the refrain felt apt nonetheless. Haley McGee knows a thing or two about boundaries. She's a certified coach, educator, and writer who helps folks worldwide set empowered boundaries and break people-pleasing patterns. She has a website rich with resources, offers courses and cohorts, and writes the periodic blog on relationships. Surfing around looking for inspiration and show ideas, as one does, I came across her blog, Why Curiosity is My Love Language and all but tripped over myself, whipping off an invitation to have her join me for a curiosity conversation, which I'm delighted to say she readily accepted. So welcome, Haley. Hi, Lynn. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited. Yeah, me too. Me too. So, okay. I have to ask because I'd never heard of a boundary coach until you. What's a boundary coach and how did you get into it? It's such a fun job. So basically... (laughs) As a boundary coach, I'm a certain type of life coach. Mm -hmm. So I went into life coaching because I really cared about working with people on matters of the heart. And what had always intrigued me was helping people access their own voice and helping them move past obstacles that kept them from doing so. But in my coach training, you know, boundaries were becoming a hot topic and I was learning more about people pleasing and and self-advocacy. And it just seemed like that was the direction I was really called in. And so after I finished my training, I was like, all right, this is my niche. And it's been over five years now. Uh, Yeah. So of course I found you curiosity. It's my love language. Like I was, I was putty in your hands from the very beginning. 
But I also, in getting to know your work, I understand how foundational the concept of boundaries is around your thinking about love languages. And I wonder for people who aren't familiar with thinking about boundaries in a relationship and in their lives, give us a little primer. Yeah, totally. It's a concept that gets talked about a lot, but it's like, what really are they? Right. So when we think about boundaries, the simplest explanation is really that boundaries are what determine where we end and another person begins, kind of like the fences in the Frost Mm -hmm. poem. And boundaries don't have to be cold or cruel. When we set a boundary with someone, we're not necessarily cutting them off or, or judging them. Really, boundaries are statements of our own needs and limitations. Um, we all have boundaries, you know, whether whether we state them or not. And so our right. practice really is just attuning to them and, and learning what are my limits? What am I comfortable giving? And at what point do I need to redirect my attention inward? Yeah. So do good fences make good neighbors? Do good boundaries make good relationships? Frost was 100% correct. <laughs> when you read that, I was like, that's right. Because I think all relationships require this delicate balance of self and other. We need both. But without boundaries, we're not able to bring as much of a self to our relationships. Like if we're constantly overgiving or constantly just reflecting back other people, we're not holding up like our half of the bargain. Yeah. So before we even really dig into that, I want to say that your response to my invitation was so validating. You wrote that you'd gone through periods in your life where you felt disconnected from your own curiosity. And it felt like being disconnected from a profound life source, which, oh my gosh, is just a beautiful way of talking about it. And I just wanted to invite you to tell me more about that. Yeah. Oh man, it's true. Gosh, I remember being in school. And it felt like I had no room for curiosity because Mm. I was being, you know how it is in school. You're being kind of like pummeled with tests and proving your knowledge. It's not like a particularly fertile environment to let your curiosity wander. And then there was a time in my life where I just felt completely disconnected from curiosity. I think maybe I was a little depressed, but it was the time in my life when I was really trapped in people pleasing. And I was in an unhealthy relationship and I was so preoccupied with being what other people wanted me to be and feeling ashamed that I was not Mm -hmm. like, I almost, I don't know how you feel about this Lynn, but part of me feels like some degree of like self-love or self-acceptance or self-comfort is required to feel tuned into that energy of curiosity. What do you think? Well, I, you know, you, you went exactly where I wanted to go next, which is, which was sort of almost the inverse of that. Cause you wrote somewhere that in order to love myself, I had to give myself permission to discover who myself really was. So in order to love yourself, you had to be curious about who you really were. Right. And that, but what you just said is sort of kind of the flip of that. I mean, I just, to me, they're all really pretty entangled, aren't they? Or entwined in a beautiful way. I don't want to call them entangled because that sounds bad, but that's what I'm sensing. It's almost like they're like totally smushed together, like being able to be at peace with oneself and also be curious about other people and the self. 
they right. are so entangled. Right, right. So how did you come to be curious about yourself and the friction between what yourself was and what your people pleasing iteration of self was? What was what was that journey like? That's a great question. For me, it was a very specific moment that mm. opened my eyes to it, which was I went through what I still think of as my most like harrowing heartbreak. I think mm. we all have at least one of those where it's just like, oh, wow, this is the big one. And in the absence of that partner on whom I'd become quite codependent, it was like all of a sudden these ways I, I had identified myself through him and through uh -huh. our things together were just obliterated. And I was left with this completely empty landscape of self. And I was yeah. like, who am I when I'm not this person's partner? And I mean, frankly, that was the experience that kickstarted my whole journey since then. That moment of sort of who am I, it almost doesn't feel like a curious moment, right? It's like a desperate moment. You had to make some kind of a passage from desperation to action, right? That's a fantastic point. Completely. At yeah. first it was, how do I just get my head out from underwater? Which yeah. wasn't really curiosity. It was more like survival, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know? But then as the years, as time passed and I had at least a foundation of self, then the fun part happened uh -huh. because I wasn't as intent on defining myself through other people's eyes. And so I was like, what do I love to do? What, what is it that I enjoy? What really piques my interest? And as the years have passed, that has only grown. Mm -hmm. So, you know, little Wikipedia wormholes or learning on Reddit <laughs> or traveling to new places or learning about psychology or cults or guitar, like it just compounds. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It, it, it turns out to be really rewarding to be curious about what matters to you. It like really in does. Way, in ways that seem in sort of retrospect or just from a little bit of remove, like painfully obvious and yet in their actuality splendidly not obvious mm. like you just discover all I mean I heard you sing you know I heard one of your YouTubes with your guitar and I was like oh my gosh she had a she had a discovery journey around that that's so cool yeah, it's kind of amazing. You you start like you use the phrase like little treasures earlier and that's really what it feels like. It's like you don't even realize you're on a treasure hunt, but then you stumble across this awesome box of like stones and gems and something else over here. And there's this great passage in the book Flow. Mm -hmm. Um I would say the author's name, but frankly I don't know how to pronounce it, but it's like <laughs> this canonical book about flow state. It's a really long last name, but basically the author talks about how when you're trying to discover your passions or the things that would cultivate flow in your life, a lot of times it just begins by the art of just paying attention mm -hmm. to what's around you. Mm -hmm. And I think mm -hmm. in many ways, curiosity is the same, like just paying close attention to the books on the shelf or your environment or the instruments sitting by you. It can spark something unexpected, like you said. That's just this lovely segue to your taking of the love language model and paying attention to, okay, like, you know, each of these maybe works for me in some way, but, but actually what really, really, really 
feeds my soul and makes my love blossom is curiosity. And so I wanted, again, if, if people aren't familiar with the love languages model, give us a, again, a quick frame on that. And then talk to me about how you discovered curiosity is my love language. Yeah. So the five love languages were created by Gary Chapman. And basically they're this framework for understanding how we best give and receive love. And so let me see little test. So the five love languages are quality time, acts of service, physical touch, gifts, and affirmation, statement of affirmation. That's right. Words of yeah. affirmation. Yeah. Thank you. And I all was of doing those... the same thing. Can I come up with all five of them? <laughs> <laughs> I know. Me too. Me too. I was like, oh man, okay, on the spot. <laughs> but I mean, all of those are great. And I would like them all. <laughs> and I think a lot of us would. But I know when I host, I have a workshop about courageous dating. And what I invite participants to consider is when they're discerning their own first love, like most important love language, what I ask them is the absence of which of these do you notice most? Mm. Oh, what a great way to get at it. Nice. Yeah, it's kind of a way to go underneath. And yep. when I asked myself that question, what I realized is the absence of curiosity meaning another person showing curiosity in who I am, who I really am, is what I notice most when I'm mm -hmm. cultivating a relationship with any person, lover, friend, mm -hmm. colleague, whatever. You're listening to Choose to be Curious, conversations about curiosity and work and life. I'm your host, Lynn Gorton. I'm joined today by Haley McGee, who says curiosity is her love language. For me, and perhaps other people who identify as like recovering people pleasers or codependent or empath, I think so much of our own lives have been spent paying attention to and being attuned to other people. Mm -hmm. And so we want that back and we feel right. it when it's not there. You said somewhere that your ability to get curious about others is your superpower. And what what I like about the way you talk about it also is that it's something that you do that's as much in service to yourself as in service to others, which coming at it through your recovering people pleaser sort of a lens makes a lot of sense to me that understanding that this is something you can do for yourself that's distinct even from what you might do for others is pretty profound and a level of reciprocity that maybe is not typical in the people pleaser kind of space typically. Mm, yeah. I think there's just bringing curiosity to our relationships. It's totally a two-way street. Mm -hmm. I mean, we can help mm -hmm. someone else feel seen. Like we're really scoping out the terrain of who they are as a human being beyond just pleasantries, right? Like what an incredible way to feel seen by a person. Right. And then also for ourselves, like we live in these bodies every day, we have similar routines, we go about our business, but to be able to experience the world through the lens of another person and get curious about their worldview or their passions, like I learn, we get to learn, we get to grow, we get to, I don't know, there's just so many benefits as you very well know from the show. <laughs> well, so, but are there downsides? You know, I wonder actually, particularly for someone who's trying to break a habit of always being the confidant, the cheerleader, the oh-so-perfect listener, 
for other people. Is there a downside to this expression of curiosity and this embodiment? Yes. Yeah. You know, absolutely. And like so many things, like giving, generosity, loyalty, curiosity, in and of themselves, these things are wonderful. But I think what matters is how we deploy them, our intention behind them. Like if I'm being curious about you and your life, ideally that's coming from a genuine place of wanting to know more and wanting mm-hmm. to connect with you. But I think for a lot of folks in the position, I've been in the recovering people pleaser space, we use these things like giving and curiosity less to instill genuine connection and more to be valuable to the other person. It's about us. It's like, I'm going to ask Lynn all of these great Uh, questions about herself. So she feels so seen and cared for by me and then wants to be my friend. So there's this like insidious dark side. Ooh, and transactional. Very transactional, very compulsive. So if that's your habit, if that's your, your, your pattern, how do you catch yourself? How do you kind of interrupt the pattern? Do you have guidance? I'm sure you do. Cause I've watched some of your videos, but you know, so is there guidance or, or tips in finding a different path forward? Totally. There are a few. And I think one of the big ones at first is recognizing that sometimes our over curiosity can stem from a fear, perhaps because we feel we don't have a sense of self, or we fear that that self won't be received positively by other people. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. one one major practice is to become comfortable chiming in and sharing of our own experience in those conversations mm-hmm. to kind of level the scales. I like but that. Then, yeah, it's like, take up some space, you know? But then the second thing also, and I've done this in, in certain friendships and relationships is, and it hasn't been easy, But explicitly saying to a person who is maybe a a big talker, interjecting and say, you know what? I feel so loved and seen when the people close to me kind of get curious about my experiences. Would you Mm -hmm. be open to kind of, I don't know, like asking a little more about me? And I know it sounds awkward, but that can actually facilitate some really cool transparency between two people. The idea of being able to say to people, Curiosity is my love language. I feel loved when you ask me questions, you know, and it's such an easy way to say what you need, which is a hard thing for lots of us to do. But I thought, wow, I feel like that's a sentence almost anybody could muster. Because it's very like, it's almost, it's broad. It's like, I'm making it about me. It's not about, mm-hmm. you're not asking me questions, right? It's not blaming. <laughs> it's just, this is how I, like you said, this is how I feel loved. Mm-hmm. So I want to switch a little bit because you also did some interesting writing on empathy and self-advocacy and people seeing a, a binary attention there. And, you know, there's a huge intersection I've had lots of guests who've talked about sort of empathy and curiosity. You can't feel empathy without having curiosity about somebody else's experience. And I was just really interested to see you kind of exploring that as well and wondered, particularly through your lens on on boundaries, of what's the interaction between curiosity, empathy, and boundaries? Mm. 
Yeah, I think there is this tendency, which it sounds like maybe some of your other guests have debunked, but there is this tendency to think about things in a very black and white manner. Yeah. Self, yeah. you have to choose self or other. You have to choose boundaries or giving. And I think that those dichotomies are totally false. Again, the Frost poem, they actually mm -hmm. facilitate, if done properly, they can facilitate really deep connection. Mm -hmm. And something that has totally rocked my world this year in direct relation to what you just said was recognizing how this has been like a, what, five or six year journey for me at this point, learning how to self-advocate and set boundaries. And at the end of 2022, when I was doing my little journaling reflection of like, what most surprised me about this year, uh -huh. I was totally flabbergasted to realize I wrote down, like, I have learned to, I've come to experience the joys of giving, which if you've spent a year setting boundaries, that's going to sound really weird to you, right? Because you're like, wait a second, I just set all these boundaries to stop over giving. Now you're telling uh -huh. me I'm loving giving, <laughs> but it's only through boundaries and tending to the self that we can give to others in a way that is not transactional, like you mm -hmm. said, that we can give to others in a way that's genuinely driven by desire and goodwill and giving within our capacity. So they, they foster each other really, I yeah. think. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I like that. So one thing that I do is I collect what I call curiosity practices, things that people do that that bring curiosity into their lives in some way, large or small. And I wonder if you have your own kind of sets of curiosity practices or what I would call curiosity practices that you would share with us. Yeah, I love that, first of all. And I love <laughs> that you collect them. That's such a cool thing. Um, well, like so many millennials, I have found incredible, <laughs> I've satiated my curiosity on Reddit and Wikipedia, which mm -hmm. I know sounds silly, but it is so cool to me how I can just get totally transfixed by a certain topic and there's endless information available to me through those platforms. So, yes. and it's, it's something I do actively, like I'll spend like 20, 30 minutes sitting at the table with my computer being like, all right, let's just dive in and see what we find. So and you that, never know where that's going to take you. No idea. Right. Oh my God. Right. <laughs> I've learned about like, you know, can you really ride an ostrich? Like, can you sit on an ostrich and like, you know, like things like that, I would have never expected to know. Um, but then Gosh, you know, I think I do like I love the little little free libraries. There's mm -hmm. tons of them in Seattle. They're all over. Mm -hmm. And so I've made practices of just grabbing a book without checking and and reading what's there. Just little ways for me curiosity and novelty are like so intimately uh -huh. intertwined that I do seek out novelty as often as I can. Very cool. Very cool. Well, I have a novel thing for you. I'll bring it on. Um, <laughs> all right. You know what's coming. I have my big jar of wannabe analogies right here. Yay. And uh, there are slips of paper in here with uh, random words. I'm going to take one for you, one for me, okay. and one for the audience. And we're going to make an analogy to curiosity with whatever is on these slips of paper. Oh, my God. So I know. I know. It's a, um, okay. So yours is washing dishes. How is curiosity like washing dishes? And mine is s'mores. 
Wow. (laughs) I never know what's coming out of this jar. I never know. So would you like to go first? You want me to give it a try first? All right. How about you lead the way so I can? Okay. uh, Okay. Yeah. A little role modeling. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So how is curiosity like s'mores? Um, S'mores, uh, chocolate, marshmallow, graham crackers. Um, You know, you cannot enjoy s'mores without getting a little messy. And I think curiosity is like that as well. Sometimes curiosity is messy, but I also think like s'mores that if you just sort of embrace the mess, um, that then you really get the true taste sensory sensation. Um, so that's how I'll say curiosity is like s'mores. How is curiosity like washing dishes? I'm so impressed, Lynn. That was truly, that was like poetry. First of all, Robert Frost could take a lesson from you. Um, well, you know, all right. So washing dishes, so I don't even have a dishwasher. It's something I have to do every day, multiple times a day. But I would say this is kind of taking a, a leaf out of sort of like the Buddhism book, but just like washing dishes, you know, with curiosity, the more you allow yourself to be present and mindful with your curiosity, the more enjoyable it becomes um, this is really tricky. Um, no, I like that. I like <laughs> right? but like that. With, if you're just in the moment washing your dishes, you're not thinking about, oh, I wish these dishes were done. If you just let yourself be there, it can actually be kind of enjoyable and you get some little suds on your fingers and you sing a little song and like curiosity. Similarly, if we let the flow happen and have, and release expectations, we may find beautiful things. Ah, very nice. <laughs> very nice. I love it. I love it. See, but people just come up with a you know, Buddhism in my analogies. I love it. And audience, yours is air. How is curiosity like air? Let me know. Facebook, Twitter, if it's still there, Um, social media, hashtag analogy. Well, Haley, thank you so much for this. I, I foresee a lot of people talking about curiosity as their love language going forward with kudos to you. So thank you. Such a juicy conversation. I will be journaling about this later. (laughs) So thank you so much for having me. You've been listening to Choose to be Curious. You can find this and all my previous episodes on my website at choosetobecurious.com. I hope you follow me there and on social media at Choose to be Curious. Don't forget to send us your air analogy, hashtag analogy. Many thanks to my guest, Haley McGee. Links to her wonderful work, background on Gary Chapman's love languages, and Frost's beautiful poems all on my website. Our theme and other music is by Sean Valick. I hope you'll join us again next time. Until then, choose to be curious. Curious.